welcome to Future Out Loud from the School for the Future of Innovation in Society at Arizona State University. I'm Heather Ross. Together with Andrew Maynard, we bring you conversations with experts on and off campus where we think out loud about our collective future. In today's episode, Andrew and I talked with Di Bowman. Di is a colleague of ours in the School for the Future of Innovation and Society, and she also has an appointment in the Sandra Day O'Connor School of Law. We talked about autonomous vehicles, but then we expanded, as we often do, to talk about vehicle safety and the entire road infrastructure and transportation infrastructure in the United States and globally. I really enjoyed this conversation. I know I say that every time, but I really did enjoy this conversation, and I hope that you will too. Before we get started, as always, thank you for listening to the Future Out Loud podcast. We, of course, love to know what you think about what we're doing, and if you have recommendations for people that we should think about having on our show, you can tweet those to us at Future Out Loud or find us on our Facebook page. You can... Uh, subscribe to the Future Out Loud podcast. You can do that on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on Stitcher, on Google Play. You can leave us a rating and even a comment, a review in any of those places. That's important for us to help to sort of preserve our standing in the fine interview, long form podcast world. And I'm not going to lie, we like the feedback. So thank you very much for being a part of what we're doing at Future Out Loud. And now, on with Di Bowman. Hi, Di. Hi, how are you? I'm great. How are you, Andrew? I'm doing well. Well, now you're better since you've got licorice chalk. I know, yeah, this is how you get us into the the room in front of the microphones with licorice chalk. That's right. But that is not why we're here today. Um, We're talking about autonomous vehicles fresh on the heels of the crash of the Uber Volvo. Or not of the Uber Volvo. Well, yes, of the It was a car crashing into. Into, yes. yes. So what do you have to say about such a thing? I think it highlights the the unspoken about truth with autonomous vehicles that even when you have a fleet of autonomous vehicles you still have other drivers behind the wheels and other cars who are going to make mistakes Mm -hmm. and that in some instances the active safety features of an autonomous vehicle or even the person who's behind the wheel of an autonomous vehicle can act to avoid that crash but many crashes are unavoidable regardless of what technology and what features you have on that vehicle. Yeah, so I found this one fascinating because if it was just a a human driver in the vehicle, chances are the crash would have happened anyway and nobody would have been Mm -hmm. concerned. Um, And even, so I didn't realize this, I was talking to one of our students the other day who actually lives on that intersection, and she said, oh yeah, crashes happen there all the time, every week something major Mm -hmm. happens. So this was not unusual for that particular intersection. Well, and I guess it's, the police report, according to the very lovely uh, television news piece, Andrew, that you did, yes. um, the news report said that it was the failure of the other car to yield, right? Yes. And so there's no way. That's the problem that we talked about the last time we talked about autonomous vehicles on this podcast, right? Is that anytime you're putting um, robots into the system with humans, 
you can't predict what humans are going to do, right? They're the weak point. Yeah. I mean, is this an unsolvable problem? Is the unpredictability of people just something that we can't get around? Well, that's a great question, because even if you had all vehicles on the road being autonomous vehicles or vehicles having active safety features, you're still going to have pedestrians in the system. Mm -hmm. You're right. You're still going to have cyclists in the system. You're still going to have dogs and cats in the system. Mm -hmm. So even if you can control a large part of that system, you've got so many variables that actually are not active components of that system that you're controlling. Mm -hmm. So you're always going to have car crashes. That is a given. What autonomous vehicles or vehicles with autonomous features will help to do is reduce the number that are the result of human error. Yeah. Right. But we're not going to get down to a zero kind of accident free. That that seems to be a really important point because sometimes it seems like there's a utopia of Mm -hmm. everything being autonomous and we're as getting rid of the thirty odd thousand deaths a year on the roads, which clearly from what you're saying is not going to happen. No, and then you can even go back to Sweden. So they're the ones who came up with the Vision Zero concept around road fatalities, that it is unacceptable for anybody to die on the roads in Sweden. Now, when you actually go through the policy documents, it's not saying that we're going to get to zero deaths per year. Mm -hmm. What they're saying is we should be striving for zero, but because we have humans in the system or other variables in the system, Mm It is impossible, but when we design roads, when we design the technology around the road infrastructure, mm-hmm. we should be aiming for zero. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Which makes a lot more sense mm-hmm. than just being very idealistic about it. So how about other systems? So one thing that really fascinated me about this crash was there was a piece that I read, and I forget who wrote it, um, who basically said we shouldn't even be focusing on autonomous vehicles. We should be looking at, at vehicle-to-vehicle communication so the vehicles mm-hmm. could actually work out what was happening and avoid each other. Right. Um, is your sense that there are actually good conversations going on about other autonomous systems or safety systems with cars, or are we getting too obsessed with self-driving cars? I think we are too obsessed with self-driving cars, in part because it doesn't recognise the turnover of the fleet. Right. So it can take seven, eight, nine years for a technology to permeate all its way through to the fleet system mm-hmm. because of the rate at which we turn over cars. Right. Um, and okay. so you're talking about metaphorically turning them over yes, this time. Yeah, yes. Absolutely. So the cars that have the greatest active safety features are things like your Audi, your Mercedes Benz, mm-hmm. your high end premium vehicle. Mm-hmm. Now the people who purchase those are able to turn them over generally more often mm-hmm. than not. Right. Um, but then you have the alley worker from whatever store who might be driving a car that is 12, 14 or 15 years old and mm-hmm. the safety features in that car, maybe they've got an airbag, maybe, maybe. they don't. Right, yeah. right. And so that car is going to be in the system for potentially another 5, 10 years. Right. And so to actually get this you know, follow through effect in terms of these safety features, whether, whether it's an autonomous vehicle or a car that has active safety features is going to take a long time right. and that is not part of the discussion that's going on. There is nearly this perception that once we have autonomous vehicles they are going to completely flood the system mm-hmm. and that we won't actually have the old clunky car yeah. that somebody absolutely needs and cannot actually get rid of so because that is, they are so reliant. I, on I'm, I'm already right. thinking about those student drivers, mm-hmm. I mean, the most dangerous drivers on the road with mm-hmm. their 1980s, 1990s vehicle with none of these features. Absolutely. Right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. They will not have curtain airbags. Right. No. Right. No. Now, podcast listeners will know I 
have a student had a student driver. <laughs> right. She is now a licensed driver. <laughs> good, oh good. And I'm glad it went that way. We it's, have yes, yes, first try. We're very proud. But it's this issue of well, and we tell her it's not you that we're worried about, which is actually a lie. But um, <laughs> but we say it's all the other drivers on the road. And I remember my father telling me this as well. It's all the other drivers on the road. And we, I, I feel like we're so, uh, we do everything we can do to deflect blame away from the person that we're talking to. When in fact, maybe if we had a culture of uh, acknowledging you know, fallacy, right? Frailty, whatever the right word right, is. Right. I'm pretty sure there is one. Um, maybe we would be better off. You mean um, accept that people are fallible, that people are going to be bad yes. drivers and they need to learn how to be safer yes. drivers? It's not even that they're going to be bad drivers. It's that there are things in the system that cannot be predicted. Right. And right. for people who have just got their license, they don't even know what to expect in terms of that prediction. Oh. They don't know how to scan properly. Oh, oh <laughs> yeah, yeah. that is so correct. And, <laughs> so, and these are the things that if you look at all the data or what we know about drivers, that males aged between about 18 and 25 are one of the highest classes mm -hmm. of risk in terms mm -hmm. of drivers because they don't have maturity, they don't have the experience, right. and often peer group pressure also comes mm -hmm. into play here. Mm -hmm. And so I think the conversation that is going on generally just is completely missing all of these kind of mm -hmm. points, be yeah. it data or just the realization that humans are fallible and mistakes happen. Mm -hmm. And you can be a good driver and you can still have an accident. Yes. Absolutely, yeah. 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 So from your perspective, and you've studied uh, road safety a lot, um, if you were to list some of the top things we should be looking at in terms of reducing um, accidents and fatalities mm -hmm. on the roads, what would be in that list? That every state in the United States should actually have laws on the books that require people in the back seat to wear a seatbelt. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. So there are states in the United States that do not require that. We know that in terms of safety, mm -hmm. a seatbelt which costs basically $5 and is in every car mm -hmm. will save more lives than anything else. Mm -hmm. Yet, because of individuality, the freedom to choose for ourselves, we actually do not require people in some states to wear a seatbelt. Right. I right. think if we are talking about reducing the burden of death and injury on the road, there are some really simple things that can be done. The question is, whether people are willing to do them. Mm -hmm. And here, I do not think they are. So that way, for, for some people, it is easy to talk about the role of technology and how technology can be used to reduce the burden. It uh, moves the blame elsewhere. It moves the right. blame elsewhere, yes. yeah. as opposed to saying the, the individual can actually yeah. take responsibility for themselves by putting their seatbelt on. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Okay. Anything else in that list? Like, that <laughs> seems to be a... That's a big one, that's a big I, one. I was gonna say it's an obvious one, but I can yeah. imagine people listening that are thinking, you must be joking, I'm not going to put my no, seatbelt on. But well, okay, yes. so, well, that idea, yes, it's a good one, unless you are running the organ donor pipeline, in which case, it's a terrible idea. <laughs> right. Indeed. Because right. as our helmet laws. That's so right. So, when it, you know, when I lived in New England, we had a tremendous number of solid organ transplants in New Hampshire because there is no helmet law. And we would mm -hmm. watch people ride across the border from Massachusetts into New Hampshire and take, take off, off their, their helmet. helmet. Another organ. Yes! I mean, Dartmouth-Hitchcock does a lot of heart transplants, and good for them, you know. <laughs> we used to talk about that with Michigan once they passed the helmet law there. Or yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so what else about, what else is on your list? <laughs> this is also the investment in infrastructure. 
-hmm. that a safe road system comes down to actually having well-funded roads, having things such as street lighting, mm -hmm. reflectors on, reflector sure. posts and reflected themselves yep. on the road, mm -hmm. maintaining um, bridges and the whole system. Mm -hmm. And so the Swedish system actually starts when they're talking about Vision Zero, when they start to talk about the engineering component of it and building new roads, they start with the premise that we need to build a safe road. Yeah. Then everything stems out from that. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So I, I actually find it fascinating you go back to the, the Tempe crash. Mm -hmm. I haven't heard anybody mentioning the fact that that's a really dangerous intersection and Indeed. the obvious thing to do is fix the intersection. Well, that's right. So in some states what they do is a little GIS mapping in terms of the road crashes and they identify their 100 hotspots where mm -hmm. the most crashes occur. So therefore when they're talking about investment in infrastructure, that is where they put the money first. And they basically go down the list of you know one to a hundred or how much funding they've got sure. and invest based on what is the toll of that intersection. And these are really easy tools. Mm -hmm. It's coming from police reports, it comes from tow truck sure. reports, yep. mm -hmm. um, somebody aggregates it, does fancy mapping, and then you work with whatever agency it is that actually doles out the money for the engineering solution side of it. Right. And you start to receive see a return on your investment very quickly. Now, are there things, though, that we already know about best practices in civil engineering for road design that we could, are there anticipatory things that we could do rather than waiting for, okay, you hit your 25th death in the last mm -hmm. three years at this intersection, you're up for improvement? There are numerous bodies around the world that have looked at this, and there is definitely standards and best practice for designing roads. Mm -hmm. Um, and definitely when you're talking about designs of new roads, that is where they should be starting from. Mm -hmm. So you can go back and retrofit um, intersections. Mm -hmm. And all you have to do is look at the design of the intersection and how does that meet best practice today. And that might be involved actually going and put a roundabout into yeah. the intersection. Uh, not if, in the States, because nobody knows States. how to use them. Well, that's, that's actually right. not totally true. <laughs> so. But I think it would cause more accidents. <laughs> right, right. right. Well, it would just be lower speed, lower impact crashes. Right, right. I've seen a lot of, so where I live, there's a lot of road calming that mm -hmm. gets inserted. Yes. Yeah. And quite a few now roundabouts, which do pose some, as an American, I do have a you know, little it's, it's, shortness it's not, of breath. It's not difficult. <laughs> I know, but I do. But I've been enculturated to say, this is a hard thing. Right. It's actually the easiest of all of I the know, things, I right? Know. But um, yes, I do. I, I acknowledge that my Americanness has enculturated me to fear the roundabout. However, I do see it used more often. So maybe that is a best practice creeping its way into American individualism. Yes. I think there's also the issue of enforcement. And what sure. we don't talk about in terms of the 40,000 people who die on the roads each year is that a lot of the kind of the basis behind these accidents are actually illegal activities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yes, we still have accidents, but we have drunk drivers. Mm -hmm. We have drivers under the influence. We have mm -hmm. drivers on their cell phones mm -hmm. who are texting. Yep. And that Again, without actually autonomous vehicles or large-scale civil investment, mm -hmm. enforcement is actually crucial for driving down the road toll. Yep. Mm -hmm. And people don't like it. I fully yeah. appreciate that. Yeah. But when it's a choice of your child coming home and being safe on the road mm -hmm. because police are enforcing the laws that are on the books right. or the potential to be fined, um, 
you know, you ha- it's trade-offs. Yeah. Yeah. So I, given all these other things that we really should be doing to, to reduce road fatalities and, and injuries, um, do you still think that there is a, a place for private companies at least investing in autonomous vehicles? I mean, is there something here that is worthwhile? So I like to think about them as vehicles with active safety features. Right. And we have had passive safety features for now decades, mm-hmm. and that is the seatbelt. Right. Um, that is things like the airbag. Mm-hmm. Then we started to get to braking, anticipatory mm-hmm. braking, mm-hmm. and you know lane warning. Mm-hmm. So these are active safety features. Right. And realistically, autonomous vehicles, as we speak about them, are really vehicles that have active safety features mm-hmm. on board. Yep. True autonomous vehicles, the self-driving car, which NHTSA have a level four vehicles, are not coming onto our roads anytime soon. So I am all for investment into active safety features. I think active safety features, if we can roll them out in their various different forms, across the fleet as much as possible Mm -hmm. and make them as cost effective as possible Mm -hmm. and really push down the price of cars that are very safe is a win for everybody. Right, right. So how, what are some of the ways as a society that we can do that in terms of cost effectiveness and really um, helping to push them out? How can we sort of prime that pump? Oh, that's a good question. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) So that comes up around things like open source Mm -hmm. in terms of innovation. Mm -hmm. Um, There are some companies, and I won't name names here, that and this is auto companies, that mm-hmm. with their safety features they've developed over decades, they actually don't put a patent on them. Okay. So they believe that what they've developed in-house is actually better shared across the industry mm-hmm. because they want that technology or that solution to be actually rolled out mm-hmm. as quickly and as seamlessly as possible. Mm-hmm. I think when we're talking about safety and we're talking about the road toll, mm-hmm. I think if we could promote that type of behavior, so at the moment, 1.2 million people die on our roads around the world globally. Mm-hmm. If we don't do something to address road safety, it's going to be 5 million people by 2020. Right. Okay. And that's because the increasing motorization in the developing world. Sure. So whether it's South Africa or India. Mm-hmm. So we need to actually be able to d- design cars that are safe and have as many safety features on board mm-hmm. as cheaply as possible. I was going to say yeah. it, it's yeah. got to be cost effective. Absolutely. We can't sure. afford to be looking at the Teslas of the it world just when it's the right. other end yeah. of the spectrum. But yeah. if Tesla is developing active safety features that then can be incorporated into a Toyota Corolla right. or a yeah. Volkswagen Golf, which are cars that are far more affordable for the average person, Mm -hmm. then that is going to be a win across the system. It's also a win that is not going to be dependent then also on states maintaining infrastructure to a certain level. And I talk about that in terms of the quality of the road, Mm -hmm. but also with some of these active safety features and when we're pushing the boundaries, it actually requires lane markings to Mm, actually work effectively. It requires reflectors or lighting. Mm -hmm. So in way out Lesotho, I'm pretty sure I didn't see any lane <laughs> markings. Right. right. So if you want to help drive down the road toll in countries like Lesotho or Swaziland mm-hmm. or Mozambique, you need to have things that are that work, that are cost effective, but also don't rely on the state to provide infrastructure to allow for that active safety feature to work at the level it needs to work. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I- so go ahead, Andrew. No, no, no. You- well, I was just thinking if if one were to invoke Malcolm Gladwell, which arguably we should do more, um, is there The arguably tipping... was important at the beginning of that. Thank you. Yes, carry on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so. 
is there a tipping point where we do we reach some penetration of these active safety features as we now term them autonomous vehicles on the road where it does make a significant difference and you can think about significance as statistical significance which has its own set of baggage or you know fewer people dying where does that lie like if a third of the cars on the road have these features do we see improved safety or fewer deaths or is it more than half or is it does it have to be 90% or does it have to be 100% because it's the fallibility of humans so I haven't done that research myself. I do not have the modeling skills to do that, but I know people are working on that. Okay. Um, but there's other things that will come into the equation as well. So we know that the road toll here in the United States dropped when gas prices soared mm -hmm. because the cost of fuel meant that people were doing less, less miles. So things like mm -hmm. the cost of fuel actually have to be calculated into this equation as well. Okay. And so as fuel has come down, road toll in the United States has gone up again, which is why we're at one of the highest levels of road toll in the history of the United States, because mm -hmm. fuel is so cheap. Mm -hmm. We also have increasing population, so mm -hmm. you have to then control for more people in the United States. Right. Um, so yes, I don't know the solution, but to say, to talk about insignificance, I think that every life you save, that is significant. That is significant. I also think it's really important to note that for every fatality we have on the road, that's 20 serious injury accidents right. we have mm -hmm. on top of that. Mm -hmm. And that's not talked about. So fatalities are horrible. Mm -hmm. They are, you know, they need to be avoided at all costs. But serious injuries can actually impact families sure. and communities just as much, if not greater, than a fatality. And especially you have catastrophic serious injuries and these are the people who might be on life support for their rest of their life. Right. And that right, can be right. 20 or 30 or 40 years. Sure. And studies in the state of Victoria have shown that catastrophic injuries, and there might only be five of those in the state of Victoria every year, which probably means 400 in the United States, but they will run into 15, 20, 100 million dollars mm -hmm. in terms yeah. of the cost. That's the economic cost of that injury. Mm -hmm. That's not the cost on the family and the community that supports that family. Sure. So any accident that can be avoided is significant. Right. Wow, I've never thought about the cost horizon of a single catastrophic yeah. automobile is. accident. Like, is there an, even a number for that? So the state of Victoria um, have funded a serious injury project, and I sit on the International Advisory Board for that. Mm -hmm. And it's a $6 million investment, and we have been looking at 400 crashes over a period of time. Mm -hmm. And the reason that they did this is they worked out that they have six to seven catastrophic serious injuries each and every year in the mm -hmm. state of Victoria. The average cost is $7 million. Now, I say $7 million in the state of Victoria, which is a universal health system mm -hmm. that actually has caps on sure, drugs, price control. And, price and, control. and, and so, just to be clear for our listeners, we're talking about Australia, Australia which sorry. is very different yeah. from the US. That's right. Yes. And so yes. I and I haven't worked out what a seven million dollar catastrophic risk profile would look like in the United States, but based on the cost of healthcare across the mm -hmm. two countries, I think you could nearly multiply that by at least five, if not ten. Mm -hmm. And if mm -hmm. that happens to be a nine-year-old who potentially might be on life support for 50, 60 years, right. 
I, but, I don't even know how you can Right, but, like but even if you come down several levels from that mm -hmm. and think about disability, so take a, a child um, where the potential of what they could have achieved is severely retarded Absolutely. as a result mm -hmm. of that mm -hmm. crash. Yes. yes, and you need full-time care yes. for the next, for the rest of their life, however long that is. Right, right. And right. see, and that's why I say any of, and this is why the state of Victoria is investing in this project because they believe the investment in the project, if it stops one catastrophic injury occurring on the roads, then they've actually it's, got it's it. worthwhile. One, they've wow. got a return on investment based on pure economic sense, but in terms of societal value, mm -hmm. they have got a return on investment. So, yeah, so this yeah. really does underline the reality that certainly from a public health perspective, um, not thinking about self-driving cars naively, but thinking about safety systems and the whole system, not just the car, but, but the transport system, mm -hmm. everything mm -hmm. is so important, it's, or it's important to make that transition. That's right, and that's yeah. what Sweden did 15, 20 years ago under mm -hmm. Klaus Tingvall. Right, yes. And so Sweden is aiming for zero. Oh, and by the way, I just looked it up, and one Australian dollar is about three quarters of an American dollar, just for the ignorant mm -hmm. like me. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so, Australia, or, sorry, yes. Sweden is aiming for zero. Yes. Where are they? So Sweden as a country is the safest, in terms of roads, safest country mm -hmm. in the world. Okay. Um, so I can't give you the numbers, but I do know that if you look at the rankings, they are number one and consistently are. Okay. Okay. And can I, I oh, sorry, can I just add to that? Of course. It's also that Sweden invests in alternative transport mechanisms mm -hmm. as well. So for them, it's not a question about the car being the only choice. Mm -hmm. They want their citizen, citizens to have the choice of taking a bus, taking a train, uh -huh, riding a bus. Uh -huh. So part of it is, all, like you talk about the system, it's yes. thinking mm -hmm. about the system in alternative Everything ways together. to yes. travel. The whole system. The yes. whole system mm -hmm, mm -hmm. by providing trains, which yeah. you know, are cost effective, are clean, that run on time, right. that yeah. reliability component. Yep. It's about having lanes for mm -hmm. bicyclists, if not their own kind of streets realistically, mm -hmm, that are mm -hmm. safe, that are, do not have traffic right next to them, yep. that it's about having every adult being a cyclist so that when you're driving your car, you also think about you the cyclist. Them. Just culturally you're thinking exactly. about that experience. Yeah. And yeah. we see that in the Netherlands, we see mm -hmm. that in Belgium. Mm -hmm. So this is not unique to one country, mm -hmm. but it is a very different way of thinking about the system than some other countries. Yes. How do those other very cycling forward countries rank in terms of, you know, automobile automobile fatality statistics like like the Netherlands? So I would need to have the data okay. right in front of me. But you have to control for population mm -hmm. and for miles traveled. Okay. So for example, if you look at London just off the top, London looks like an incredibly safe city in terms of number of fatalities. Mm -hmm. It's because that not that many people actually have cars. Right. Yeah. Right. So you have to control for car ownership and population and things sure. like that. But there are definitely jurisdictions that people have studied for a long period of time that will consistently show that they rank very highly in terms of safety. Okay. Okay. And then, so this idea of well if we replace all of the human driver vehicles with autonomous vehicles it seems like that's not even the conversation to have no and even if you are having that conversation you have to talk about cyber security it's mm -hmm. easy to have we uh -huh. love to talk about cyber security <laughs> i mean this is a the problem these cars depend on software and software mm -hmm. updates 
And we already know that people have hacked Oh yeah. Cause. Well, and as soon as you said several minutes ago, the best thing that we can do is open source the software. Well, that so that <laughs> I just so you know made my silent cybersecurity hackles mm -hmm. go up because that is a big gap. It's That's a huge. huge. Yeah. But yeah. you think about it, even if we did have fully autonomous vehicles and 100% mm -hmm. in the fleet, all you need is one 16-year-old smart kid to hack the system. Yeah. And they weaponize the whole system. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. And suddenly you're having mass fatalities yes. right. by virtue of somebody sitting at the keyboard having, you know, great entertainment. So yeah. I've got to ask you then, bringing it back to Tempe. So this is one of the areas in the country where you've got um, a number of companies testing mm -hmm. autonomous vehicles or self-driving or semi-self-driving vehicles on the cars. Mm -hmm. Uh, on the roads. Um, what are your feelings about this? Is this a good idea, interesting, bad idea, should never happen? So I'm completely in favour, as long as it, they actually abide by the rules that every other driver has to abide by. Mm -hmm. um, I think we need innovation in this space. I think we should actually embrace innovation, mm -hmm. especially if there is a benefit to society at large. Um, it means that Tempe and Phoenix is realistically a laboratory mm -hmm. and I think that puts an onus on the officials who are allowing this as well as the companies involved in it to be very upfront when things do go wrong right. yeah and I think timely reporting mm -hmm. and that's why I think the Tempe crash was blown out of proportion because it's our self-driving car involved in crash right and it took a little while to actually come out with the fact no it wasn't the car right, that right. it was somebody else yes. it was you know the secondary party mm -hmm. so actually having responsible reporting but reporting that's done in a timely way for, so people know what is going on, I think is really important. It adds credibility, it adds legitimacy, and I think it means that the citizens of Tempe and Phoenix more generally don't feel like they're lab rats as part of this broader experiment that somebody's going to profit from in the short to medium term. Yep. So not only do we need responsible systems with solid infrastructure and appropriate system level investments in alternative modes of transportation, we also need responsible media practices. Is this mm -hmm. what you're saying? It's no small ask, is it really? It is no small <laughs> ask. <laughs> Let's get it done today. There you go. Well, thank you so much now that you've solved the whole thing for us <laughs> in a very easily, easily implementable way. <laughs> but I would love to continue this conversation because I think that there are going to be more um, questionable, uh, questionably responsible media practices that throw, you know, throw things into our faces that we can then pull apart in the future. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Right. Thank you very much. For more where that came from, including our undergraduate and graduate programs, check out the School for the Future of Innovation in Society at sfis.asu.edu. Future Out Loud is produced with the support of the School for the Future of Innovation in Society and the Risk Innovation Lab at Arizona State University. Mark Van Hare created our music. Ana Lopez is our production assistant. Please subscribe to Future Out Loud on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please tell your friends and let us know what you think on Facebook and Twitter at Future Out Loud.